0: This is a Stand-Up Labs production, powered by digital media. I'm driving along with two Jewish people on my fender. And there's a law in New York State. I sang once for Barbara Streisand, it's a true story, and her eyes crossed the other way. It was... Well,
1: the first thing I do is make them toss my salad.
0: <laughs> From the writer of... And the director of... Nyeh
1: comes man. You can have an eight-way suck fest up in your room, but you can't walk barefoot to the casino. I
0: want a lemon, Twitter. I want a raspberry puff. I want a honey curl and a and, and, no two chocolate. No one, one. Put it back. Put it back. I can loosen up. Don't have to be so black all the time. I hate when my foot falls asleep during the day, cause that means it's gonna be up all night. My neck is
1: actually six inches long, completely flaccid. The
0: it don't matter about how much you sniff. Put it away. Sniff the interest.
1: We're gonna have to buy more stuff. In July of 1984, uh, an opportunity came for me to get back into stand-up comedy. I'd taken some time off uh, to run a comedy club downtown in the the West Village, Greenwich Village. And it's called The Paper Moon. And a friend of mine asked me to book it and host it. And uh, the first person I met was uh, the guest today. Him and I uh, ran the club together. Um, I marveled at his comedy. All the comedians I had brought in from all over America who weren't getting work in the clubs in New York... Uh, from Boston, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, all marveled at him. One of the greatest comics, stand up comics ever, Colin Quinn. And uh, I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Um, speaking of, you know, it's funny. The minute I, w- I, when I was testing this microphone, I was doing a New York accent. And in my life, I've, Moved away from my Brooklyn accent for some right. reason, but whenever I hung out with you, my accent would come back. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's a yeah. Brooklyn thing. Yeah, and we, we both got sniffles, so that's a good start. So I have Colin Quinn, uh, someone I know since 1984. Uh, it's a long time. You know, this whenever people listening to this, that's more years than what you would normally think a relationship would go in comedy. But you know, yeah. that's the way it goes. One thing I know about you, you're like me, you're from Brooklyn. Yes. What part of Brooklyn were you? Park from? Slope. Park Slope. And I also remembered it was Lawrence, not Larry Fishburne, was your That's friend. That's right. I grew up with him. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. The reason why I remembered Lawrence, not Larry, because, you know, we get mad if Larry. I sure. A, I had a friend named Andrew Lawrence, and Andrew hated Andy. And if you called him Andy, he would get as angry as Lawrence if you called him Larry.
0: Well, when he was a little kid, we used to call him Larry. Yeah. It was only after he became successful, he like Lawrence, you know.
1: Oh, so it's, it's... I understand.
0: It's Billy Burr. He said, I like to be called Bill. Right. You know, people get called something their whole life, it bugs them.
1: Yeah. I don't like Ed.
0: <sighs> you don't? I don't.
1: I, Ed sounds like Ed McMahon.
0: Wow.
1: Oh. Eddie was See? My, my, Eddie. Yeah. My grandpa was Eddie. As yeah. His name after for him, so I always kept Eddie. So, all right, so you're from Park Slope in Brooklyn. Right. It, it wasn't as nice, Park Slope no, in Brooklyn. No, it wasn't. In the late 50s, early 60s. No. Um, was it a dangerous neighborhood?
0: Um, well, it was very mixed. It was a very mixed neighborhood, you know. I don't like to say the late 50s, early 60s. No, you I don't mean, like that. Jesus. I said that because... I meant more like the late 60s, 30s, I'm talking 70s. about 50s
1: and 60s in Manhattan. Like in if you're on 55th Street. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, yeah, and actually it was worse back then in the... But uh yeah it was a, it was it was kind of a mixed it was a very mixed neighborhood. Like everybody else in Brooklyn was like Park Slope that's crazy, you know. Like right. but it was always it was mixed. It was you know what I mean, It had nice and it, like it went block to block, but it was it was interesting. It was like it was like the upper west side used to be in like the 70s and 80s.
1: Right. And when you say block to block, each block had its own entity.
0: Right. Each block had its own people, its own entity to be you know, I remember going to the record store when I was like mm-hmm. a kid like Eight years old, and I had to go down to fifth avenue, which fifth avenue is now is all restaurant row, but back then, and I was, and I had to, I had to pick which block, because each block had their little gang, right? And it was like eight, nine years old, and they'd be like, "Hey, kid, or hey, you," and you're like, "Oh, you have to run," so you try to get records and try to get up. I remember my aunt. I made my one of my aunts. She thought it was so cute. She was a little nuts too. But
1: okay. I go, "Can
0: I have a cigarette?" And she goes, "Why?" I go, no, because I want to look tough <laughs> when I walk down the block. <laughs> so you can keep your
1: records that you bought and yeah. no one will beat you up. Yeah, Yeah, he has 45s. a cigarette, let him go.
0: Yeah, 45s. Like yeah. I thought these little kids I'm like, hey, he's smoking, he must be tough.
1: Yeah, I'm, it was funny. There was a place when I moved to Florida that 45s, and you'd buy f- five, of, four of them and you get one free. Wow. So I used to have a paper route. Yeah. And the big thrill to me at the end of the week was to get the five 45s, but I didn't. Florida was a little bit mellower,
0: yeah. But but uh, I remember I'll tell you exactly. Well, what were your favorite 45s? I mean, I liked Tommy James and the Shonda
1: House, oh, yeah. So Crimson and Clover was my favorite of theirs. Oh, he, his book is really great, yeah. I book, read his book, uh, yeah. Tommy James,
0: I mean, he really got robbed, he got robbed for all of it.
1: Well, that era but was of on music, drugs, yeah. It, well, he was on drugs, but that era of music, everyone got robbed. I know, but he was a
0: he was a commercial jug, juggernaut, and right. this guy took all his money. <laughs> and then you're like, hey, how did he let this one mob-connected guy... Then he starts naming names. He's like, the heads of all the mob families who are in there every day. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, I guess, you know, he yeah. had no choice. Yeah,
1: he was just... So, and it's he, like, And then they all got killed and blah, blah. But, but, was but still, he lived through it to tell the story. I know. And has these amazing hits.
0: Oh, my God, yeah. So he really what, was one of those guys. He was one of those guys that... And you saw in the book, the thing he regretted the most was he didn't go to Woodstock. Yes. Because he was a... He was a commercial. He was for like kids. Like He was probably like the Justin Bieber to the other musicians right. at the time. But Woodstock would have probably done something different. They would have
1: done big for him. I mean, like for The Who or for people like that who did well just because of one big concert.
0: Right. Or Sha Na Na. Didn't they open uh, Woodstock? I think they opened Woodstock. No. Um, but
1: where are they now? Yeah. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens to people who went to Woodstock. What were your 45s? You said, but My first 45 was the Rain the Park. And the other oh, thing is great the song.
0: That's
1: a great yeah. song. And it's a great documentary, too.
0: Oh to my it. god, isn't it horrible? He was yeah. molesting the daughter.
1: I know. I didn't know that. I know that they He was, was
0: a- molesting his daughter. Ugh. The father. Creepy. And beating the shit out of the sons. Yeah.
1: All yeah, right, that- we'll be right back. And the- they were supposed yeah.
0: to be the Partridge family.
1: Yes. And that's how they got the idea for the Partridge family. But of course they it, this is Hollywood in America. They're not going to use the real people. They're going to No. I, I we were talking about this the other day. How I wonder if Ricky Gervais would have gotten the office if it was only an American show and he had an audition. No way. Right. No way. Although he's you know was perfect for. it. Oh him. my God. Not yeah. in this country. No. We were talking about Timothy Spall, who's one of the greatest actors in England, and y- you know he's just not the most handsome actor. No. But he's the best actor, and in England, the difference between them and us is that they'll go for the actor over the. Right, look.
0: right, they'll see past it Well, even the American office, which is a very funny rendition But I remember seeing the pilot for the American office And Steve Carell's shirt was so clean and mm-hmm. so pressed I was like, ah, and expensive yeah, yeah. And Ricky Gervais' shirt in the original <laughs> office was so funny It was like a cheap, and it was almost like dirty It wasn't dirty, but it was just And I was like, that's already I was like, ah, yeah. this is not going to be the same, you know
1: The details of the British TV shows And a lot of them we wouldn't be able to have in America like um, Father Ted and all the stuff. Right, that, I never you know, saw that one. Yeah, that's a great show. And The Royal Family is another British show that, luckily, because I worked over there, I got to see some of these shows. And right. We would never have them in America because it's, it takes too many chances. Father Ted's about three priests who are so bad that they get, you know, right. sent to an island and you know the hijinks. From there, it's pretty good. Hilarious! They get sent to an island. What did they do? Do I dare ask? Well, they're drunks and they're, oh. they're bad. You know, people according to the church, but not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, not but the it, final. No, 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 not that bad. <laughs> was, ah, no, they. they you know, that would be an American show.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> right.
1: American sitcom.
0: But it would be very moralistic. No, it would be like, hey, you know.
1: Okay, so it let's go back to the 45s. 45s, yeah. <clears throat> well, which 45s would you have bought back well, then? Well, I mean, I, I bought,
0: you, uh, you know, Chewy Chewy and mm-hmm. Dizzy by Tommy Rowe, and I bought, uh, you know, one, two, three, red light, which right. was the Ohio Players and and
1: uh, no, <laughs> Ohio, Ohio P- Express, right? The Ohio Players were, uh, right. yeah. uh and they were the one where this, uh, roller coaster, right?
0: With another great song,
1: yeah.
0: I used to buy those a little later, but yeah, um, so those are the early The early ones were mostly like uh, bubblegum music, yeah. Mm.
1: Now, what about uh, seeing comedy as a kid? Did was there comedy in your house? Like, did, were your parents funny?
0: No, but uh. They weren't funny, but I was always funny. Everybody always thought I was funny. I could tell early on I was funny. More like by 11 or 12. Before mm-hmm. that, I was just loud and obnoxious. But but then people started laughing. I was like 11 and 12. And, you know. Do
1: you remember the first laugh you got and who you got? It no, for? but
0: I remember one. I can't remember the joke, but I was at the Exorcist. The first time I was in front mm. of the crowd, we were at the Exorcist. It was like the Exorcist is the big movie. And we're in this theater called The Sanders, which was called some pavilion for the past 15 Mm -hmm. years, and they divided it up. But in those days, it was like 500, 400 seats, whatever it was. It was a big one theater. Now it was like they cut into four. They just closed it. But And it was in Prospect Park, uh, Bartel Pridges Square, 15th Street. And I was there, and I'm sitting in the audience waiting for the movie to start. And this gang came in. Mm. And the gang starts walking in the front of the thing being loud, like trying to intimidate, you know, yelling before the movie started. Mm -hmm. And they're yelling. They'll just stand there cursing and, you know, like about 10 guys in a gang. And I'm in the middle of the theater, and uh, how old
1: are you at this point?
0: I don't know, thirteen maybe. Right. And I just yell out something Hmm. at the gang, and just you know an insult to them. But it killed everybody (laughs) in the theater. Starts laughing at them, right? And it 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 humiliated them. And they walked up and down the aisles, go who who said that? Who the fuck? Who said that? Mm -hmm. And nobody you know. Nobody said anything. And I was just sitting there like, oh, shit, you know. Like, you're right. But it, it destroyed the, but it got a big laugh in front of a crowd.
1: Oh, of course. And I wish
0: I could remember what happened, what <laughs> I said. But But anyway, but I got high off it, you know yeah. what I mean? And even going home, I was high thinking about how I got a laugh in front of a crowd.
1: You almost want to go to the gang. Look, I know you're going to kick my ass if I tell you, <laughs> but I just had to let you guys know I was the guy, and I hope you appreciate how funny it was. Right, right. Can I get in your gang just for being so funny? right. Yeah. yeah,
0: and it was like it was just a powerful moment for me. You know, I still remember that.
1: I understand. That's really great. Now you have a brother, right? Dave. Yeah. What? Dave. Yeah, Dave. And was he funny? Was did he was is he older or younger? Younger. Okay. No, was that- he was a he
0: was an athlete. He was a great athlete. He was like a big basketball star and just a really. He but was, you played basketball. I played, but you know, as somebody pointed out helpfully to me years ago, you were washed up at thirteen. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> and that was kind
0: of sad, but true, because I started smoking cigarettes, and you know.
1: I remember we used to go play in um, the park over on uh, Avenue A. Yeah. And we used to have cigarettes dangling out of our mouths yes. while we're playing. And I'll never forget some. Our ball went another. Uh, somebody's ball went in our court, and they said, Mister. And you flipped out. You go, Mister. I'm not a Mister. I'm I'm still in my 20s here, <laughs> and uh, it, yeah. It, it, when when you're yeah. smoking cigarettes while you're dribbling.
0: Yeah, it, you know. exactly. We used to. Oh God, we used to all smoke. Yeah. But that apartment, I hope you've, I hope you've discussed on this podcast that apartment.
1: Yeah, oh God. So and m- what
0: that apartment meant in comedy.
1: Yeah. So so many. And comedians. just kind of a great, kind of a great apartment anyway. Yeah, I lived in this little, I moved in, my brother-in-law, who I went to college with, right. m- met my sister, married her, moved in with her. Right. I took over his apartment, which is a studio, on Pot Corner. Yes, that's what, you know, all
0: the, the drugs would do, yeah. Right There's on corner. was always a drug deal all night.
1: And I, the cops had to be in on it because they would drive by and sure. wave. and right. You know, and <laughs> Make gestures like they were smoking pot. You know what's interesting is they were always there. And they were like my answering machine before answering machines were out because I didn't have a buzzer. So people would have to yell up to my window, Eddie. And then they would say, Eddie's not home. You'd like a message. And I'd come home and they'd have three or four messages. Susie came by at three and she said she'll meet you at six at this restaurant. That's the greatest thing ever. It's fantastic.
0: That's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a Ken Ober thing, mm -hmm. you know, rest in peace. But he was being stalked by a girl. And this girl was a, a psycho, like... She was stalking him like I met her once. She was a real, real sicko, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was probably going to, you know, try to kill him. You know, she was not that big, but she was probably going to try to kill him. You know, she was like really a, a classic stalker. FBI called, you know, nobody. You know. It was a guy that ran the uh, parking lot on his block. He lived on 97th, between 3rd and 2nd, mm-hmm. which was like right across from the projects. This yeah. Black guy ran the parking lot. And he was friends with Kenny. Kenny was, you know, parked his he had a car. Kenny mm-hmm. had a car in Manhattan. That's how yeah. the 80s, you know. And, um, and he's talking to a guy and the guy goes, yeah, man, what's going on? He goes, nothing. This girl's been, you know, she sneaks outside my house. She's been, you know, she's trying to, she's up to something. She was sending him like death threats and, you know, the cops told her, if you don't stop, this guy, she didn't give a damn, you know. And then this guy, one afternoon she came by and this guy talked to her. And she never came back. She still mm. called him and harassed me. she never oh. came back. <laughs> it's the same thing.
1: Yeah. that's. I, I had a stalker. I don't know. Have you? Did? Have you had No, any?
0: I never had one.
1: Uh, you know, it's interesting because the police had to get involved. It's a longer story. But the police got involved, and she stopped. And then about six years ago, I got an email from her saying, look, I apologize for what I'm doing. It was very 12-step where she had a right to me, I think. And she said, I have a family and a kid, and I'd love to be friends. And And I just never wrote back, which was the smartest move. But it was pretty scary.
0: Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah. But it is interesting, like, the mentality of a stalker. Like, I could see it, you know? Mm. I could see their their point, too. Yeah, (laughs) well. Which is like, hey, you make me feel good. You're tapping into something in me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep you in my life.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, I think in a sense... I, when I heard Elvis Costello sing, I wanted to meet him. Right. I wanted whatever it took to meet him. Yeah. And when then when I met him, I couldn't even talk because I was so nervous and I f- fumbled my words. And I never stalked him, but I would have done what it took to. And just to, to meet him was exciting for me. The stalking is this next step where it gets scary.
0: But but when you basically you know to br- to bring it to its basest instinct, if you were a girl, you would have you would have blown him.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. I didn't think about blowing him. No,
0: no, because you're not a girl. But right. I'm just saying, you know, when girls meet somebody like that, they're like, wow, well, what can I do to connect?
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, we were talking about this the other day, me and Chris Phillips, our friend. And we were talking about Al Pacino and how he's like 69 or 72 yeah. or something like that. And there was these two girls on the subway when we were there, and they said, uh, yeah, I mean, who would you like to have sex with? And she said, Al Pacino. And I'm thinking... Really? That's You're insane. like twenty, twenty five. Yeah. And and then I think about some seventy two year old guy would come up to them and go, Hey girls, they go get out of here, you old man. Right. But because it's Pacino
0: Yeah he means not meets. every
1: girl, but you know, these girls.
0: Well it's like uh, but you never hear guys go, Who do you have sex to Judy Dench? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know. There are, there's probably a couple of our friends oh, yeah. well, who she, won't admit it out loud. Uh, but she's well, she yeah, was she's powerful. She, she was, was hot. Powerful.
0: You ever see her back in the day?
1: lives on my street. She does? She's, yeah. I, she's still incredibly gorgeous. Sophia Loren, my hero heroine, is oh, yes. still gorgeous. And, you know, yeah. Faye Dunaway, still gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. So let's get out of the stalking thing. You have a younger brother. He's an athlete. Your parents are not that funny. But you're funny, and how do you make that work for you and as my a kid? You're 13.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm only f- – my sisters – I mean, everybody – I'm not saying they weren't well, – How fun- many kids in the family? Four kids. Okay. You know? But but I'm just saying that uh, I was funny. Like, I was the kid in school, like, that it was always in – you know, like, I went to school, and school was wild. I, I always tell people one of the – first. I think it was my first day in sixth grade mm-hmm. – with in school, you know, junior high school, all excited, you know. Yeah. I'm IS eighty eight to school. By the way, celebrities IS eighty eight, Lawrence Fishburne, mm-hmm. when he was Larry, Ellen Clayhorn. Wow. Foxy Brown.
1: Wow. What a um, neighborhood.
0: But, and somebody I can't remember who else. Somebody else famous. Damn it, I can't remember. But anyway, uh but the uh, but anyway, my first day of school, kid walks into a homeroom teacher. Well, I'm sitting there all nice kids, you know, my hands full. And knocks out the teacher and walks out. Oh. And the scary part was, not only did <laughs> they knock out the teacher, and it's like a junior high school, but these kids ninth grade, they have like facial hair. <laughs> but like half the kids in the class are cheering. Like they don't know the teacher, they don't know the kid, but they're just cheering the this whole is idea. This early
1: on when there's no real history of this kid or the teacher? Who knows? Right. But
0: these kids in our class didn't know the kid. They're like, oh! <laughs> and I was like, it's it was out of It was like the early 70s when schools were wild in New York. Right. But anyway, even in these classes, even in this school, I was still, I was getting, everybody was, I was like loud, I was a loud mouth, but I was fun, like I was getting laughs, and so then I was like, I was like, I'm funny, I'm funny, like everybody goes, you're funny, so I was just known as a funny person, like I didn't think about stand up, but I was known as a, and a couple of teachers, I mean, hated my guts, I mean, there's one, that's
1: interesting that an adult would hate you, hate, hate, I don't blame him because this is their room. Your exactly, this is their room, and
0: I'd be throwing these remarks and getting laughs from the class. And you know, I was obnoxious, and um, and I was, you know, I, mean, well, I was because I hated
1: school, mm-hmm. I hated being there. Well, you're not a good student, or you just yeah, hated? I was just a
0: lazy student. And just a AD. what did you
1: like to do more at that time?
0: Play well, basketball, right. and eat, all I want to do is play basketball and eat candy. That's mm-hmm. all I've wanted to do most of my life.
1: So, Halloween was big, and the NBA finals, and candy, <laughs> and
0: there was a candy store across the street from the school. I like that. There was their. always a candy
1: store in Brooklyn yes, across from the school. That's right. Because That's right. The smart guy would have uh, baseball <laughs> <laughs> cards and candy. Yep. Right in the front by the counter. Yes.
0: Yes. I like baseball cards. Used to know the statistics. You know. Right. From baseball. You know. And uh, egg creams. And uh, yeah, there weren't egg creams at that mm. place, but I loved egg creams. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so anyway, so right. I was just screwed up, student. You know, I was always mm-hmm. just a screw. I was, ch- I would cheat on any test I could cheat on. I was just never. I just, you know, I, I just was bored by anything except, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I did before drugs and drinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, in many ways,
1: they saved and my... And why don't you remember? They saved because my life. drugs and drinking? <laughs> <laughs> drugs and drinking saved your yeah. life.
0: I think they saved my, my teenage years from being ex- excruciatingly boring. <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't really, like, I played basketball all the time, and I had a certain amount of skill, but I was just a shrimp, and I wasn't big enough to be a real... Like, my brother, right, was, if you watched a kid like him play, he'd be like, oh that's a kid that can jump, he can jam the ball. Like, he's a side, he's just a different level of athletic person. Right. Like, I had some skills, but so what? You still, you know, you don't compete in the real thing, you know?
1: But the interesting thing to me is that you are one of the smartest folks. I mean, I look at some of the smartest friends I have and they're mostly comedians, not that... Comedians are smart. the smartest people I know mostly and you're one of the smartest guys I know and the material you choose is intelligent, but it doesn't mean you have to be a good student to be an in- or if you're an intelligent no. person doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't transfer to being a good student
0: no I, you know it's it, it
1: maybe you were so smart it just bored you do you think
0: i, I you know I, I i i first of all i was i was like uh like a, i would just i i wasn't listening i mean i was i just i don't know what it was but it was just you know there's something about School, it just you know, it. I mean, now I feel like I'd be interested. So yeah, it yeah. bored me at the time, but I was too stupid to realize that that was interesting. Right, that's what it was. It was like I was like more interested in my little comments. So I'd be like, I don't like this shit. I don't like this. And I was like, the minute math and science got hard, I was like,
1: fuck this. Yeah, that's...
0: You know, I was like, I don't want do, to learn it. this shit. Right. Yeah, my sister would sit there and, like, try so hard to study. She'd almost be crying at night trying to study. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to do this shit, man. What's the point if you has got to cry, you know? So I just wasn't into it. I just didn't... I, You know, you, you know you're know, always looking out the window. Yeah. You're always like, oh, it looks like fun. Like, what's going on in the world? Like, especially when you're young, you, your instincts are like, oh, shit, look at those construction guys. That looks like something. Look at the fire truck. Oh, look at those people. You just love, you know, action more than like some teacher just going now this, 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 and you're like, oh,
1: right. God. Because when you're a kid at Christmas, you didn't get the teacher set. <laughs> right. You got the right. you got the GI Joe or the fireman truck.
0: You know what? That's a great point. Yeah, you should put that in the action. Yeah, maybe <laughs> because it is a it is a good point. Like, yeah, there's a double message going on.
1: Right. right? So, that, but the point is, is that you're a smart kid, but you weren't. This You know, school didn't really interest you. And that's understandable because when you're in it, it's just you want to get out. You want to go play. You want
0: to get out. You want to go play.
1: And, you know, in, in these European or, you know, countries like Finland, the kids go to school for like two or three hours and then they're told to play and they're much better students because of it. And our schools are are complete the complete opposite.
0: Yeah. But also Finland is a controlled environment in many ways. And if our schools, if they said to the kids, go play in our schools, they'd yeah, be... No. Thousands of murders every every day.
1: There'd be less kids and more, be less more room kids. to play on the park. Yeah, <laughs> more, we could play basketball and never have to worry about getting a court. Yeah, that would really be good. All right, so now you you finish high school.
0: I finish high school,
1: and are you partying now? This is the oh, time. I'm this partying like
0: a like an animal, and I'm bartending. You know what I mean? I went to college for a little while too, right. but even
1: college. Where'd you go to sc- college? Stony Brook. Okay,
0: but even there, I was just like you know. I mean, anybody that knows me from there was like. There, they'd be amazed that I lived because I was mm-hmm. always drinking and, you know, I just it just didn't work out because I like I said, I shouldn't have been in school. What was I doing?
1: Mm-hmm. And then, um why did you go to college? if you hated school so much you thought you had? I to? just
0: thought it would be like a good thing because I was kind of d- directionless after mm-hmm. high school, right. And I was like, yeah, what should, what should I do? I didn't know what to do. And I was scared to do stand-up. I was scared to be a stand-up. Mm. Like when I was a kid, when I was like thirteen and fourteen, I would have been a stand-up because I wasn't drinking yet. And I was just sitting there going, I love stand up. And I wasn't. Now, scared. why
1: did you love stand up? Did you watch The Tonight Show? Did you. I
0: only watched a few. I remember seeing David Brenner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, boy, a stand up can be like a cool kind of stud guy, too. Mm-hmm. He was there with his brown leather jacket. He had the
1: shag haircut, the open shirt, the chains. Right.
0: And I, and I used to watch that. And I used to watch. Uh, Can you top this? Do you remember the yes? Ago?
1: Of course, I watched that every show. I've ne- never, never. I used one. to run
0: home from lunch to watch. Can you top this? Yeah. And it was Jan Murray. It was always the closer. and I was like, I want to be like Jan Murray.
1: I was like eleven. I want to be Jan Murray. Yeah, and Jack Carter, uh, Jack was Carter, on the show.
0: Stu Gillis,
1: yes, Marty Allen, and they these guys had to be funny, quick. Uh, you know, I found out later that there was probably there were writers who were yes, writing something. Yes, right. I didn't know at the them. time. Yeah, but to, to that power that you saw, what did and, that do for you? And
0: for some reason. Even at that age, my idea of what I would want to do in my life, even at eleven, I think it's because of all my cousins, my aunts and uncles, I want to just smoke and be up late at night. Mm. That was the that was what I thought like excited, that that was what I wanted to do. It was like be in a smoky nightclub, up late at night, and just, you know, and do that. You all know? right.
1: So you, you said you want you thought at this age, 13, 14, you do stand up. Your influence was just television, was it?
0: Just television, okay. And then, of course, the Pryor and Carlin albums. I mean, the the Carlin album to my family was like they would literally listen because they were all those. They were all George Carlin kids,
1: right? The, FM and AM was like nineteen seventy. No, but this was before, a Class Clown. Okay.
0: Now, you, FM and AM was one thing, but Class Clown. That was it's the only one for thirteen you. minutes. It wasn't just for me. It's because you saw my mother, my father, my uncles, my aunts. They would sit there, and it was the first time that they were allowed to... It was the first, le- like, joking about, like, Catholicism and confession. And right. B- it was the beginning of that. Like, nobody did that before that. And it was only 13... The whole thing is only 13 minutes, but it changed. I didn't realize it was only 13. Yeah, I, I looked it up when I was I was going to that George Collin thing, you know? Right. And I, I, I timed it. I was like, this whole thing, the whole that Catholic section... Right. ...is 13 minutes. Or it might have been even a little less... But anyway, I was like, and this just influenced my family. They would sit there listening, drinking and smoking cigarettes, and they'd be laughing. And it was like, it was like cathartic for them because they were raised like this is the only you can't even question this. And the way he described it was so intelligent. Like right. especially for them. But he's like, they taught us to question and they taught us this. And their father and and it was powerful to me. And that, and that blew. My family would listen to that record. They must have listened to that 50 times, my aunts, Because we lived in the house, and my I'd, other aunts lived upstairs. Gotcha. And my other aunt lived out. So everybody kind of always listened to George Collin. And then Pryor, me and my little brother used to listen to Richard Pryor.
1: And it was an album called... Your parents didn't listen to them. That wasn't your... Their to Pryor? Pryor, I'm asking.
0: No, no, they just listened to... They love George Collin.
1: You're right. The same thing in my house. It's funny that... Uh, that right. But anyway... So, no, Pryor was more for us. Yeah, yeah. They,
0: like they were just—they wouldn't like that kind of stuff, probably. Right? To be like, "Man, eh, it's too dirty," and there's a lot of pussy mentions. Right.
1: Because my parents bought comedy albums, and we did the same thing. Right. I mean, they had a Shelley Berman and the Smothers mm-hmm. Brothers, and uh, you know, they even—they, you know—they had everything. They had the button-down mind, you know, all that Bob stuff. Newhart, Bob yeah. Newhart. And uh, but Pryor was for us, for the kids. We sat around and Cheech and Chong. A little bit later Oh, on. yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe that album. Did you like I to make your mom,
1: it. was it like seeing your mom laugh made you say, maybe I want to make my mom laugh? Or uh,
0: No. Okay. I was just, uh, like I said, I just, I, I forget what year it was, but I just noticed, I don't even know if my family thought I was that funny, because, <laughs> was, I mean, it was everybody outside like, that would, I would just kill with, you know what, right. what
1: I mean? But you'll be surprised, because years later, people said, we always thought you were going to be a comedian, and I never dreamt. Right, 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 right. That. Same but with me. Right, but you said at thirteen, fourteen, you might have been a comedian.
0: At thirteen, fourteen, I I liked comedy. I was like attracted to that, and I just like Jonathan Winters. I watched him uh, on Tonight Show, and be like, "Oh, this guy's so funny." Mm. He had his own show. Yes, and then and then the Copycats was on.
1: Yes, well, it was an hour of fantastic shows. It was the Marty Feldman show and Copycats back to back. Marty Feldman, and it was just comedy guy. for an hour that our family sat around and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I
0: couldn't believe how good Copycats was. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus. Every one of these people was blowing my mind. Yeah, Frank Gorshin, and I was like, he's the Riddler, but he's this great impressionist.
1: There and was I- one skit, that, you know, the very first show, Chris Phillips, I mentioned his name, my our mutual friend, he has uh, copycats, the very first one. And there's a dual Dean Martin, two guys, it was Rich Little and uh, John Biner. <laughs> Both doing Dean That's Martin great. and they were so good to have two impressionists do the same impression. Yes. Yeah, in the same they were that good. The, Marilyn Michaels and
0: Oh, Marilyn Michaels did Barbara Streisand. I was like, wait uh, a minute, she sings just like Barbara Streisand. Yeah.
1: George Kirby.
0: <laughs> oh, George Kirby's great right. and Johnny Brown sometimes and mm-hmm. George Yeah, George Kirby had a coke problem, I remember. Yeah. But he was a great impressionist too.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so the copycats and, and yeah.
0: Uh, those shows, but anyway, by the time I got out of high school, I was like, you know, I was, you know, I was bar. Most of my life was bartending after that. You mm-hmm. know, even when I was when I knew you, when I was had stopped drinking and drugs, I was still bartending most of the time. You right. know, I bartended for a couple of years doing stand up, but, but I mostly, uh, I just gave, I just got got away from. I don't know what I was thinking of doing, but I wasn't thinking of comedy or anything like that. And I remember bartending and somebody going to this. Uh, at this bar in Manhattan And this guy going oh, Yeah I'm going up To Catch a Rising Star mm-hmm. I was like Oh that's crazy It's <laughs> kind of weird You know And uh, But then you know The standard. Why was it weird? I was just like That a place exists Where they're going Because you thought of Comedians as just In those days There weren't that many comedians You know I right. mean So before us We were actually part of the comedy We were part of the Later part of the comedy boom Right But before that I was thinking of comedians As either you go see George Carlin well, you go see this one, but you don't go to a comedy club. Like, what does that mean? To, you know, it's like right. you, there was no such thing until, like, 1980 or 78, whatever it was. So I was like, no, well, you either go see a comedian or you don't. But you, there's a specific person you would see.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. You so go. Um,
0: it was weird in that sense. You know, It's like a whole club devoted to comedy is stupid. Yeah,
1: I, I'm trying to think. So when was did you ever go to one of those clubs before you were a stand-up ever and say, oh...
0: No, I tried to get in. When I was still drinking, I tried to get into Catcher Rising Star right after that. Mm-hmm. I was bartending. So a few weeks later, I was with this girl. We were kind of dating. And I said, let's go to the comedy club. And all I remember is them refusing me because I was too drunk and me going, fuck you. This right. fucking club sucks. You know, I was like, this club sucks anyway. Fucking assholes. You're not funny. and just yeah. cursing out the, the, the doorman and the people on the line and just leaving, you know.
1: Right. So, I mean, yeah, great p- customer. Because we met in 1984, yeah. in July of '84. Right. I remember that. And I didn't know anything about you before then, ha- At what kind of comedy you had done or how much comedy you had done. You came with a bunch of friends. I remember Nancy Anderson was one of them. Oh. And there was a, a yeah, of course, I remember Nancy Anderson, of all of them, because she was lovely. I just spoke to her recently you for did. the first time in ages. That's what Facebook does. Wow. Uh, she's up in Connecticut acting. She's doing. She, she is. She's, she's acting. So she's funny. still lovely, as always. Um but before eighty four what when we met what were you doing stand up had you tried it i hadn't no i tried idea. it a
0: couple of times, yeah, I was playing around doing it a couple of times, but only very very you know sporadically I was bartending and mm-hmm. doing a little stand up yeah
1: yeah so where where were the was the first place you did stand up
0: oh uh, different you know I did pips a couple of times I mm-hmm. did the comic strip audition and uh Different, you know, just different places, you know
1: So you never were consistent until the Paper Moon No, Paper Moon was the How did you find out about the Paper Moon? I have no idea That's the thing that's hard to figure out I don't know about you Because there was a guy, Joe Mauricio Who I went to college with Yes And upstairs from the Paper Moon Which was on 3rd and and between Thompson and Sullivan Just a block and a half from the Comedy Cellar Which was just Grunfest And they were, you know, doing their magic um, he called me up and he said, look, they want to do a comedy thing every two weeks. Would you help me run it? Right. So I said, sure. So we do the first thing, I guess, July 84. And I meet you, like yeah. the first show. Yeah. And you're on the show because Joe knows you somehow. Right. And I didn't know how you got involved. Because immediately you and I took over the place right. and ran it. Yeah. One week you'd host, one week I'd host. Yes. But whoever didn't host would ru- would work the door. Yeah, yeah. And we brought in our <laughs> friends. <laughs> And whoever we could find in the neighborhood, like Adam Sandler when he was at NYU. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, so, but I didn't, so you had only done it, but then it became regular for us. Every weekend we yes, would work in the paper Oh my mo- God, it was every Sunday and uh, it was great. Started every, it started as every other Sunday, right. then they gave us every Sunday, right. then, they us every Sunday right. then they gave us Friday and Saturday. Nick and. Uh, yeah, Nick, who was uh, yeah. pitching uh, quarters at the wall while the show was going on. <laughs>
0: Yes, and the firehouse was actually a working firehouse.
1: Yes, right next door, and next to El Molinos. Yeah, and El Molino. Who the hell knew that was the? I had no. I didn't idea. Know
0: idea. I was like, what's that place? It looks Yeah, depressing. Nobody
1: goes in there. Yeah, it's, it's empty. All right, so then we started working pretty regularly. Yeah, and it was it was our little workplace. Yes, and we got to MC. What you know? It seemed like you were ad libbing all the time to me and to the other comics, and the other comics liked the the chances you took. Yeah, did you? consciously take those chances on stage or did you mix it was it some material and you know it's hard to remember back yeah
0: it was some material I was always writing notes but it was also ad-libbing a lot because uh it was it really is I mean it still is the one place that I actually feel you know like that's like I actually feel like that's where I want to be is on stage
1: right Still. And, and yeah, of course. And it, and it was so natural for you to be up there. Yeah. When you hosted, it was a different animal than when you did a regular spot on those right. shows. But you were such a good host. I loved and, hosting. Yeah. and it Only w- there I loved hosting. That's interesting.
0: Everywhere else I host, I was like, yeah, it's not the same. Paper moons. It was a magic place. Because it was sort of theatrical, too. Because yeah. the way it was set up was theatrical. And you brought in these Emerson... People like Mario and everybody, and it was like they. Some of them would do like semi-theatrical things,
1: right? And the lighting guy Scott Masmano was came from a theater background. That's so. Him and I discussed what we would do. Is he would subtly change the lighting, the color, at what the when a comedian was done with the one sketch, like when Mario was done with the I'm in the mirror sketch. Right, right. The lighting would change, and the audience would never be able to tell. And it was a theater stage. It was only about 120 seats.
0: Was it even that many? Yeah,
1: I, between I would say about a hunt between 100 and 120, we could squeeze in. I would go out on the street and give out free passes, and yeah. then run back and host the show. Yes. And you'd run the door. Yes. So it was you and I really running this thing. And I brought in these people, but uh, you had you had brought in some people as well. Uh, and uh, and then there were comedy groups and uh, the singers, the oh, Bad Attitudes, the Bad Attitudes. They were brilliant they were females, hot. hot good attitude. And uh, so it was a different kind of club. And we started bringing in these headliners. right? And, and Caroline's would uh, send her people down to watch these headliners. And they'd, they'd actually end up using them. It was a pretty good time. In fact, Stand Up New York uh, got their start by coming to me and having a meeting and saying, well, how do you run these shows? Wow. And we did that. But, you know, the most important thing is, is that, you were there, and that was your baby. You were there yes. every week, which loved was great. It. I loved it. So now, how did? when did you start branching out to other clubs? I know the cellar used to run down to the street. The cellar was down the street. Yeah, Gruntfest was running the place, and he did a great job there. Right.
0: But Never was be...
1: angry with us. Never No. that we were a block and a half away.
0: No. I guess, yeah, that's right. And they weren't selling out every night in those days. No. They weren't the cellar. I mean, they were doing well, but I guess on the yeah. weekends they sold good. But it was also the comedy boom, like eighty five, eighty six was still the comedy boom. But then I started doing the strip, and I started. I was bartending at the strip.
1: Oh, you were. Yeah. Okay. When when did that happen?
0: Mendrinos got me that job. Mm-hmm. And that was like eighty. I don't Jim know. Jim Mendrinos.
1: I don't, I don't remember the
0: time. I don't remember what year it was. It was probably right. eighty five or eighty six. And then I was bartending there. And I started working there. And I started working catch, and that was it. You know, but um, but uh, I I all I know is I was. When I bartended the strip, when I worked at Paper Moon, I was bartending at this place called U.S. Steakhouse. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm, Uncle yeah. Uncle Sam's. Yeah. And that was the greatest job ever for a comedian because I worked at 11 a.m. to about 8 at night.
1: Right. And, and then you had the night. And then break. you had the night. And so you did have to come in at 7 in the morning. No. Like, like it was the I best a day job gig be ever. There.
0: So, you know, and it was right in Midtown. And, um... Yeah, but then... Do you uh, remember
1: when you quit your day job? Do you have a memory of like, okay, I'm only going to do stand-up?
0: Um, no. I just mm-hmm. remember that when I did quit, I was like, this was a mistake. I quit earlier than I should have because mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. getting that many gigs. And I didn't get along with a lot of those... Uh, the people who book clubs in those days, you'd have big fights with them, growing Because they, they would be kind of dicks, too. So you yeah. like, you're a fucking asshole. You know, I'd be... I remember cursing on several of them and then being like, Jesus, now you're not gonna get work. <laughs> yeah, well, but you couldn't help it. They would just, they would cancel you at the last minute. They would cancel your weekend. And it's right. like, you needed that for your rent. It was ridiculous, you know?
1: I know, man. Look who's laughing now. Yeah. Yeah, nobody. Nobody's, no, nobody. Laughing. <laughs> Nobody's laughing at all anymore. Um, okay, so we, you did that. Now, when do you would say, I, I don't know if I, would you say remote control was your first break?
0: Yes. And yes. how did
1: that come about? What was your first I was break? doing a
0: set and then they were like Where? uh I was doing a set at uh catch. Okay. And then they came in to see the all the comedians. They'd Isn't it funny every-
1: that Catch Right There is the place that kicked you out because you were a drunk? Yes. It's now the place that got you your first break.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh and they would come to catch in those days. And um and uh it was it was all these uh people from from uh MTV mm-hmm. and so they were hiring me, really, to be the announcer. So, of course, you know, already I had sh- your
1: voice, it was... Yes, yeah, and I had a shit attitude voice.
0: even then. I was like, they're <laughs> fucking hiring me to read commercial? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I had a shit attitude. And Doug was like... He didn't want to hire me.
1: Doug Herzog. Doug
0: like Herzog, who Eddie knows for you. And he, he didn't want to hire me because he goes, this guy's got a fucking shitty attitude. And then Joe and uh, Dugan were like, oh, no, he's really funny. Yeah. That's part of the, what's funny about him. Joe... Joe DeVola right, and Mike Dugan. Mike Dugan, okay. And then, uh, so Doug, you know, <laughs> so right away, I was like, "He's fucking, it's fucking." <laughs> we already had, we had a fucking problem,
1: and so, and the and show they, was they hired Kenny to be the host. If I had Kenny Marisol, to be that Marisol, who was an Emerson person, Mar- oh,
0: she was, yeah, uh. who was
1: there, and then they and they hired you to be the 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 voiceover guy, I the guess.
0: voiceover guy. So I was so dis- I had such a shit attitude at, that I would read the copy for the prizes, and I'd go like, yes, you can win the new Kawasaki, <laughs> and I'd read it so sarcastically. Right. So sarcastically that the, the, the advertising people were like, we want this guy, you know, this guy next season. You, they were just disgusted by it because I was of mocking course. their copy. But, of course, kids watching the show loved that for whatever their thing was like, hey, he's being sarcastic. You're like, nobody does that.
1: Yeah. So I understand. They, it's like how Letterman t- did things.
0: Right. So they were just like, so for some reason, people started imitating me, you know, so it became this whole world, world thing where all well, these kids are like, yeah, I'd be yelling. We'd be, and at that time, we knew, you know. We, all we knew was stand-up, so I was like, this is so embarrassing. Right. We're doing these hacky Brady Bunch jokes. The Brady Bunch was kind of a played-out thing. <laughs> right, of course. In comedy. Yeah. So we're like, oh, God, our friends are going to be mocking us because we're doing this Brady Bunch shit. Or every question Right, it's Brady like hosting Bunch. a
1: game show, and that's what was going on. Right. It was a game show. Right.
0: And it was a, But I could never – so I never really appreciated remote control the way I should have. I mean, I had so much fun just traveling around with MTV, and it was fun. I loved hanging out. But I never appreciated the actual show the way I should have. You well, know it mean. seems
1: like that's now that's sort of the link in your life is when you did something, you didn't appreciate it when it happened, but you just gave it your own your own anxiety, your own whatever, angst actually made the it better for you. Your anxiety not wanting to be in school even though you're a smart kid, the anxiety of deconstructing comedy because right. you made it sick to your stomach was more honest than any people have done before, because 99.9% of the shows, okay, and there's a Kawasaki, and blah, 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 and they had the v- special voice. You were the opposite guy with the gruff voice and the deconstruction of the comedy. So you didn't appreciate it at the time, but I don't think you can appreciate something at the time, because if you start looking at it and, and, uh, and analyzing it like we're sort of doing now, right. you go, wait a second, I'm, I'm just like them.
0: Right, right. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's maybe the maybe that's the only way to get through sh- uh, life. Yeah. But anyway, um, but it was funny. But Kenny was just the opposite from day one. And I mean, obviously, you know, but he enjoyed mm-hmm. so much like all the part. Like I remember talking to him one time, and he goes, and I was like, "What we should be doing, what we should do, is take this and make stand up." I was talking about stand up, stand up, stand up. Mm-hmm. He, he goes to me, listen. I don't give a shit about stand-up. Ah. He goes, I don't give a fuck. He goes, you know what I like? I like going to an event. They fly you in. They do this. They feed you. They put you in a hotel. If you go to a thing, I meet girls. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, But he was the, he was he very was, clear. That's course. what he was into. He's like, yeah, I'm having fun, and that's it. I don't give a
1: fuck about stand-up, stupid art of stand Life is too fleeting to not be doing what Kenny wants. Uh, you know, I know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So I
0: really did appreciate that. And then there was the famous story when, because he was so quick, but I told this at his, at his wake. It <laughs> was one time um, I was telling him, uh, you know, this is bullshit. What are we doing? We, do, we were doing some tour appearance, you know, remote control. And you go
1: to some small town or big town. Big or, town. And you'd have to Re-enact right. so, remote control. Well, right, we reenact it. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So
0: I go, this is fucking disgraceful. What are we doing with a fucking lamp? We're supposed to be doing stand up. We're supposed to do doing one man shows. We're supposed to be doing this, blah, 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 artistic, whatever. And then after the show, some girl who's pretty hot comes up, and she goes, oh, Colin Quinn, I've been waiting for you to sign my tit. And she takes her tits out. <laughs> and as I'm signing a tit with a Sharpie, Ken goes, hey, fucking Spaulding Gray, will you have any more complaints? <laughs> 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 Just the fact that he hit me with the Spaulding Gray.
1: Another Emerson guy. <laughs> oh, <perfect. laughs> of course, Of course. Know. But it was great. It is perfect. We got, you know. And Kenny was a great stand-up.
0: Yes, he was a funny as shit. He was
1: really, really very a, a very quick. good stand-up, but you could see that he didn't love that. No, Not everyone loves stand-up. No. You no. love stand-up. I
0: know. I You love
1: stand-up. It. I loved it. Even when you do uh, the theatrical pieces, they're based in the stand-up writing that you Yeah, no, yeah,
0: yeah. They're totally stand-up. I mean, they just stand-up, you know, with some kind of a uh, little twist on it, yeah.
1: Right, which is what stand-up kind of is, right. in a sense. But well, it's your stand-up. How, now, what, what would be your early writing uh, practices? when you Would you write on stage? Would you... Combination no, of on I'd stage always, and... I'd
0: always overwrite. Me and Chris Rock used to. I was just at the Gracie Muse this morning mm-hmm. on the Upper East Side, and and uh, I was talk, I was thinking about how me and Chris Rock would sit in the back of that place and mm-hmm. write, write, write all these little notes. And I could still see his handwriting and my handwriting, and we just sit there and write all the time and try to write new jokes. Mm-hmm. But it was, but you know how it is. It's so hard now, even. But back then, it was impossible. You'd, I'd have to write so much to get one little joke. Because I didn't know what I was. doing. I wasn't even ready in form, you know. And mm-hmm. Like you said, ultimately I love to. Imp- I love to play on stage. Yes, like that's the pl- the play is where the fun happens. I remember talking to you about this years ago when you started. You were in the middle of the play. You were doing this whole thing with uh, Tim Tuffel and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and like you started to. You were just playing, and like that's the kind of shit I like to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. You we're Just like this one, that one, just having fun, even though it was like specific Met references right. about some girl to one of the Met's and you talking, it's like that's the kind of stuff that that I feel like is the real joy after a while because
1: great material is great. Yeah, and, but and it's you, fun to do it, but when you have a new great material or an ad And people love joy. Hmm.
0: People watch us to see some joy too. You know what I mean? Like this person gets to be free. Show us what fucking freedom looks like. You know? yeah. It always reminds me of... Uh, that whenever I talk about that particular thing with people, it reminds me of that scene. For some reason, speaking of Helen Mirren mm-hmm. in uh, "Officer and a Gentleman," her husband directed, and uh, "Officer and Gentleman." And the last scene, and I for some reason it really hit me was the girl that gets rejected, her friend who ends up being a bitch, and he hangs, hangs himself. Right. But then Deborah Wayne gets swept away by Richard Gere, and then even that girl goes. Yeah, and they start applauding, even though they know they're stuck in that fucking factory forever. Right. But they're like, fucking do it, because yeah, I can't. Yeah, they're living
1: vicariously through that joy. You know what
0: I mean? Like, do it. Yeah, so I, I always love that, that scene, because, you know, I mean, everybody loves that scene.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, because I think a big part of our society likes drama and likes conflict. But ultimately, above all of that, they like to see the little guy win, or they like to see joy.
0: Yeah, they like to see somebody doing it. If you had the chance, do it. Nobody wants to see you not fucking enjoy that shit. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. Now, do you find it harder to write now that you're more well known? No, much you, easier because I've learned
0: because I've been writing so compulsively for. Th- I've, I've spent my whole life writing in some ways to my detriment as a as a as a person who's lived life. Mm-hmm. But I understand writing so much easier now. I feel like stand up wise, I understand writing stand up and th- like I just know. I just know. That you have to start with the boundaries of something, and then just keep writing in, and then you can you'll get something, you know what I mean? But it's you can't you can't try you know you know you can't write a joke. I can't write jokes. I can just keep writing within it, and then you see it, and then you go, oh, that's funny. But there's no fucking punchline. What's the punchline? Where's the joke? And then I have to find a joke.
1: You know, and it's funny because earlier in this conversation, you were talking about math. And you said, "What the fuck am I yes. taking advanced math?" But that's advanced math. What you just said right now,
0: right, right, right. It's a form of math, huh?
1: Yeah, because you you know what x is, and you try to write the the, the backwards to figure out the the rest of the you know the equation, and uh, you know that's
0: what I bailed on. I remember x and y. That's when I tapped out of math. Right. I go okay. I tried it for a couple of weeks, algebra, and I was like, "That's it. I'm tapping out." Because I was like, I almost understood three x, and I was like, "No." I remember resenting the fact that they use X when I was good at I was good at, at uh, the times tables.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still good at them.
0: And but <laughs> when I saw the X, and I was like, it's supposed to be times, and now you're using X as times. Oh, yeah, I'm fucking tapping out. Right, fuck y- you. You gotta
1: pick a different letter. Yeah, yeah. they
0: pick a different letter. I might yeah, you'd still
1: be a you'd be a math wizard. You'd be an M- yeah, MIT. Yeah, I
0: resented that so much.
1: That's hilarious. Um, okay, so. The thing is is that you know the reason why I'm asking you about how you write is because a lot of young kids are going, look, I'm a big fan of Colin Quinn's and I want to be a comedian like that where I'm playing. And a lot of comedians, young comedians, maybe perhaps think, well, you just go up and you play and you don't prepare, but you can let people know that it's it's the complete opposite of
0: that. The complete opposite. I mean, I'm not saying you don't get... But it's like the old... It's what people always say about everything. When you have the structure... Then you can play. But when I used to go up and play, as you well saw a hundred times, I would bomb plenty of times, more times than I needed to, because there was no, I wasn't working within any kind of a structure. So you're just hoping for a miracle.
1: How did you feel, you know, people, comedians, your peers, people who had done it longer than you, always respected you because you didn't mind bombing. But it still has to suck, in a sense. Yes,
0: it sucked, but uh, yeah, it totally sucked.
1: But it paid off in the long run because all of that anxiety and angst forced you to maybe, I'm guessing, I'll let you finish that, Force you to maybe take that, to have more structure, to find the thing that would get you from not bombing. Right. Because I remember one time, clearly, you had said to the, you were bombing in the crowd, and all the comedians were laughing. It's like watching Gilbert Gottfried right. in, in a lot of ways. Right. You know, he would do these lines that I'll never forget that audiences would get right, up and walk right, out on. Right, right, right. And you said, I'm gonna turn around to the audience and when I turn back around, I want all of you gone. <laughs> right. And you know, the three other comics in the show just fell on the floor and the crowd actually was like <gasps> they couldn't believe oh, that, was that happened. Man, yeah. yeah. When I turn around, I want you all gone. And then they they weren't gone, and then uh, you you right. took it to the next level and played with them. All right, you're here, you're here for the thing, and here's our next comedian. Right. I remember that. So oh yeah,
0: clearly. yeah. No, I I but one of my earliest, uh, which is a mistaken comedy, but I still do it. I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. Is treating the audience as a whole, right? Like they don't want you to insult them as a whole. They want you to treat they like they don't mind if you insult one person, but they don't like when you insult all <laughs> of them together. <laughs> right. But I can't That's help it. I still I did it like, the other day. I was on. I was like, look, folks. Uh, I don't know what what the problem is when I came up here, but there's been a fucking – you people don't know what the hell you say. You just say you don't understand, so I just can't help it because I do feel like there is a crowd energy too that needs yes. to be addressed sometimes.
1: But you create that crowd energy. But I right? create it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what happens but because uh, you're also uh, <laughs> conservatively – more conservative than most stand-up comics right. that they see and when they see someone who has that opinion, in order to get them – you know, it's like taking a crowd – of you know rabbis and saying here's my Irish Catholic stuff. Right. You know you have to take them and say look we've you can relate all of this. Well, how do you do that with stuff that's conservative in a right. sort of liberal crowd?
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: I'm asking how. Oh, you would do, how I don't do you know. Do
0: I don't even think of myself as conservative or liberal, but I mean,
1: and I am uh, sorry for the labels on, but I'm saying you do think a little differently, like you, Deppallo. Right. Right. And and it's still funny and it's still smart and it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Unless the truth hurts them
0: Right But I mean um, Yeah I mean I don't know I don't I don't even when. It, whenever I'm writing like, well, You know how it is You're writing it But you're not I'm never thinking like Oh the crowd is gonna be like this Because It's happened over the years So gradually That there's so much more There's so much more Shocked and politically correct now But it's happened gradually mm-hmm. So it's almost like I've been around this whole time so, I mean, it's, it's probably happened where if, where if I'd been gone for a few years, I'd be shocked. Right. By the But yes, they're like, like you could make 10 Catholic uh, jokes, you know. Gotcha. But when you say any Islam, if you bring up Islam, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And right. that's only been recent. That's only been the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one of the last of the things where you're like, and you have to explain to them, folks, I just made fun of molesting priests for 10 minutes. You were fine. I made fun of (laughs) Jews. I made fun of fucking Hindu. But you're picking. So you almost you do have to you have to call it out a lot, right? It's honesty,
1: reality, theater. Yeah, you have to tell
0: them a lot of times about stuff like that because they do. They're uh, they don't want to get you know they don't want to be on the wrong side of whatever. They're just like no 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 that's not how it is now. And you have to kind of you have to make them aware of what they're not laughing at and why they're not laughing at it. And you also have to make them aware that you're not tone deaf that you do understand that this is now considered transgression or whatever the fucking Mm -hmm. word people like to use. You know what I mean? Like, you have to acknowledge to them so they don't think, oh, he doesn't know. He's from the old days. He doesn't get it. Like, you have to let them know, I am from the old days, but I do understand. I'm not living... Like you know, Don Rickles, you know, I mean the colored guy, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to kind of explain to people like so. It's a real, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to be doing comedy right now with that stuff. You know? I know.
1: I recently did this very old crowd, and and the very old, uh, you know, and I could work any crowd, right. and. It wasn't going well at the beginning and like right. for about six or seven minutes and then I started taking out the stuff that always works and it didn't work. Oh, yeah. And I told the audience and I and nothing, <laughs> no laughs, and I said, right. I just want you guys to know I don't think this is going well either. <laughs> and then they laughed. They, love so it. Hun- they loved it. And then I got off the stage with the mic and I w- uh. went to the crowd and I just and I said, You probably wanted Marty Brill. You thought it was Marty Brill. <laughs> right. And yeah. they went, Yes, we thought <laughs> it was Marty Brill. They really thought that. And I said, Well, he's an old time. Comic and I'm not that guy, right? And then we started doing jokes with them. I had that old joke, right, right? Then I had each one of yeah. them tell jokes, and 45 minutes later, we, the, together as a group, we had the time of our lives.
0: And what's beautiful that's the beauty of comedy is that here's this thing that's, a, that's a, it's such an alchemy that you turn around this thing by acknowledging the reality of the moment. The elephant in the room happens to be. That you're not—you're doing terrible, and here you are bringing it up to them going, hey, I'm not going to—I'm not scared to bring up the fucking truth. Right. Whatever that truth is. In that case, the truth is, I'm bombing. You people hate the show. You thought it was Marty Brill— so say, you And then turning it around
1: it's, it's, it's much more satisfying to turn that around Than yes. it is to a great crowd That's already been pumped because they've had A million great comics and you just come up And ride that wave, it's fantastic But it's much more satisfying totally. I find totally. to take a shitty crowd Or a crowd that I made shitty because I was too Cocky because I had done six shows On a Saturday night right. and on the fourth show I crushed so I walk out to the fifth like a, Look, right. you, you remember me from the last show right. And they hate me because I'm arrogant yes, And I have to get them back
0: yeah it's much no, more
1: satisfying that's
0: exactly right it's such a but even what you're saying right now like that's such an interesting thing because you're not thinking in terms of like wait a minute i'm not being arrogant but there's just a little part of you that's feeling entitled or like uh mm. like again it's that slight it's such a weird thing what you're talking about but it's such a real thing yes and you see and what's funnier is among our peers, then when you see a friend go up there and he's just killing, or he's killing with you guys upstairs. Right. And then he goes on and after two minutes, just you get the little bit of square <laughs> right between your no- nostrils and you start laughing because you know what the guy's going, motherfucker. And then he's got to almost like be like ultra humble to get the crowd back and they know it in some weird way. <laughs> they it's
1: do. so funny. It's because we've like, all he's been like,
0: he's like, Oh, it. shit. And it's just like, it's and this it's better unspoken, you than us. <laughs> yeah, but it's this unspoken thing with the crowd. Yes. Like, it's never, I wouldn't even know how to articulate it, but there's something going on where they, they know some, like they say, the crowd is so smart in some ways, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was listening to this, uh, the, when Hal Wilner, do you know Hal well Yeah, Willner? yeah. So he had this old Lenny Bruce shit he was playing for me from 1959. It was amazing. I mean, he, you know, he's got great everything. Right. And I'm listening to Lenny Bruce. And he's going, listen to me. There's a table. You can tell it's that table at every show. Mm -hmm. The drunk. And he goes, would you just be, when they put you people up front, I don't know why. This is from 1959. And he goes, and then when the show's over, you're going to come up and say, we were helping you. And I was like, oh, my God. Some things never change. Never change. The good and the bad. But it is the one art. Comedy where we need the crowd more than anybody else. We need the crowd.
1: Right, because a band can play, and they, you know, yes. some guy could fuck up or not be too high to play the bass, but the other guys are playing, right? And that's okay. But it's yeah. a comic, it's just you. It's you. And they're and, all looking at and you. And we
0: need them, and they need us. Right? You know? And it's just such a exchange. Of, it's such an exchange of energy and an exchange of ideas, which you're even talking about. Like, how do you explain to them? I'm not going to be typically on the ultra liberal side of things. Right? Like, you just have to explain. It's almost like explaining it, by not but not with words, but
1: you... Yeah, because you don't want to. Nonverbal communication is much more powerful. Yeah. Much more powerful. Yeah. Than people think it's word, word, word. That's why I think sitcoms fail most of the time, because it's written word, word, word. Right. And not like, if you know, you want to look at the Lucy show. Right. right. The nonverbal is as powerful, or Jack Benny, his nonverbal oh, is yeah. the most powerful. And that's the lessons I learned through life, watching the Honeymooners or the Dick Van Dyke show.
0: But, but Jack Benny is it really... One of the most amazing examples, because here's what's so amazing about Jack Benny. Now, it's funny when you see him do that, but it's still funny when you know he's going to do <laughs> yes. it. He's been doing it for 20 years, and he does it, and you still think it's funny. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. He gets the biggest laughs in his pauses, which is like music where it's a note that has no yes. music. And it's as musical as the other notes.
0: And you, kn- and you see, and you're like, oh, he's going to do his pause. Like, you know it's happening,
1: <laughs> yes. but he's still funny doing and it. And he'll take the pause an extra half beat. Right, just, right. And you're sh- just moving forward. Right. Your body yes. is moving forward. Yes, It's great. All right. In the, in the sort of wrap-up, I, I want to ask you this. It's a tough question. Any regrets in, in your career? Oh, of course. Right.
0: A fucking million regrets. Yeah. A million regrets. I regret that I didn't start earlier. Mm-hmm. I regret that uh, that I didn't go to uh, a lot of uh, the parties I should have gone to just to be more-
1: Why do you regret
0: that? Because you don't, by shunning a certain element of power in the business, and I'm not saying you have to kiss their fucking ass. But you don't have to like spit in their fucking soup or whatever. Right,
1: or ignore them completely.
0: Or ignore them and shun them because they all have the power.
1: But there's but, a reason and there's a history in your life. You you don't want to be part of that no, anyway. I know. So in reality, I know. you regret it, but you stuck true to who you were. I
0: regret it financially. Let me put you. it that way. I got you. Okay.
1: <laughs> I hear
0: you saying that. But my biggest regret is that when we we were around in the 80s, Eddie, and we looked at Manhattan, and all I could think of was like uh, this city's you know, I would never buy like instead of being uh, like these right. fucking real estate guys, you could have done stand up and done fucking real estate. Yeah. But I was like, I didn't know you could first of all I didn't even realize you could go to a bank and get loans and buy properties. I never even would have thought of that. <sighs> and it was just like that kind of shit, like you're like, damn it, you could have been fucking rich and yeah. do stand up
1: You could've owned a house in the East Village. Yes, a whole building. Yes. Yeah.
0: Instead of living in little fucking apartments and, you know. But it was but like you said, part of being Stand-ups is not doing is, is fucking up. That's what yeah. people like about stand-ups. We don't do the smart thing. We fuck up. That's why people like us, because they're like, yeah, I'm like you. I fuck up. We're not the red carpet. We're not the beautiful people mm-hmm. on the fucking red carpet. No. We're not. We're the people that what is he doing there? He looks out of place in that fucking tuxedo on the red carpet. He doesn't look comfortable. He's he's sweating. He's gonna fall. You know what I mean? Like, that's... We're the fucking... We're like regular people.
1: That's why I was talking about Ricky Gervais earlier... Yes. Because he's brilliantly funny and smart and right. and, you know, one of a kind. And that's yep. the kind of person that a comedy mind would hire as opposed to someone who's trying to please the corporate world or go to that party right. to kiss that corporate ass. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that if you want to make money. Yeah. But if you want to stay true to comedy, you stay true to what's funny. And we're not the I remember one time with the Letterman show, they were looking for more handsome or pretty uh, performers, and I was like, and I went to, <laughs> there was also a time when I was working, it was the, f- there was a festival in, uh, where you go, Aspen Comedy Festival, right, on the board, right, right. and they were only hiring handsome and pretty, as oh. opposed to really funny, and I left the board, because I said, you know, we need, th- this person's really not that great of a comedian yet, Right, they will right, be, and some will of them be. were, I said, we need to have the best comedians and they said yeah. yeah but we have to please the corporate world and they like pretty and they like this oh, and handsome gosh. and I said no you're the all the network casting people of all of the major networks you can tell these people yeah. who's yeah. funny and who's really great yes. and it's frustrating all along the way
0: you know I went to Aspen one time and Patrice opened for me right if there's ever a clash it's Patrice and
1: Aspen you know they oh. should not be together patrice and anything
0: yes good point patrice <laughs> and anything and he gets up there and his opening joke, he goes, ah, uh, he's the opening. <laughs> ah, uh, ah. Uh, he's just looking, moaning at the crowd. And they're just kind of half laughing. He goes, I ah. Uh, he goes, I'm walking through town today. This white lady, rich white lady comes up. She goes, oh, um, are you a football player? He goes, no, I'm a comedian. She goes, oh, do you live here? He goes, ah, uh, if I lived
1: here. Wouldn't you know about it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was so funny.
1: It's so perfect, but that's what happens in our society. So yeah. it's our job. It's okay to be the the not handsome or pretty, right? And you, and we're supposed to not be. Not, we're uh, fucking but, supposed to be but losers. There's, there's, there are handsome and pretty that are. But they terrific. shouldn't be winners. they <laughs> right? shouldn't. Be, don't they don't can be good looking, right. but they shouldn't be
0: happy about their because life because
1: most of us aren't.
0: Because they, yeah, and they shouldn't be happily. I don't feel like comedians should ever be like we're not cool. We don't fucking fit in. That's
1: it. Right. That's that's it. Last question: What haven't you done that you still want to do that you're looking forward to do?
0: Um. I mean, I haven't died. I'm. I'm not looking forward to it. No, that's that that wouldn't be in the same. But when I think about it, it's exciting.
1: Yeah, in a Woody Allen way. You know,
0: you're gonna die someday. It's (laughs) kind of exciting. Like I'm gonna die.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that it's exciting. Right? Because see, I don't worry about it because it's going to happen. So, but I hope it happens in a cool way. You know, I've that been would talking be. about
0: exactly that. It's exactly what I've been talking about. It's heaven. Going to heaven with a cool death.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be really great. What would be your cool death?
0: Well, I right now I'm volcano. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the first guy that you're went, the volcano. No, I get no, I know swept I up know. in a volcano. No, well, so what? <laughs> the apocalypse if it happens in the next few years, we're going to be the coolest people in heaven. Oh my Aristotle, God. people going to walk away and t- to talk to you about what happened. <laughs> yeah. But also poor the first,
1: Aristotle. <laughs> I know,
0: but all the all fucking that people <laughs> that I'm saying their first gunshot wound when, mm. when it was all swords. Think about how fucking many people are like, hey, man, what happened? And he's like, it comes across the room. It's not just a, a thing. Right. He's not touching you. He's 30 feet away. And so it's kind of an exciting thing.
1: I think I'd rather talk to that guy than Aristotle.
0: <laughs> in, in a lot of ways,
1: Colin. You know, it's interesting because I've known you so long, yes. and I learned a lot about you today, which is nice. really cool. Things that I never knew. I mean, it's funny because I met your brother, but I, I, and I, don't, I didn't meet your sisters. I didn't know anything about your family. Yeah. So it's really cool to know all that kind of stuff, and I appreciate nice. you coming in. Thanks, Eddie. All right, brother.
0: Great to see you, man. Always. Well, we go back. Yeah. Ah. ah. ah.